quite a while. Oh man, life has been full in the best way. I recently released a collection of abstract floral paintings. I joined a community of artists. We met in Arizona in January and we have been meeting monthly and that has been so nourishing and so good just to have that community. And I have been spending lots of time outside. It has been a beautiful spring in Alabama. I don't know what it's like where you're at, but I have just been loving the sunshine and the beautiful 70 degree weather. So I've been outside anytime I can get. And perhaps most exciting of all, I have started some earnest work on my novel. Or you may have heard me say this, but I have had this storyline in my head for probably over a decade for a novel. And I have written bits and pieces of it, but I am just now starting work on it in earnest. And I am so excited about that. Um, If you're on my email list, you know that I recently announced that I'm taking a break from painting to focus on writing the novel, which has been a big shift, um, but also a really exciting one. So more on that soon. But before we dive into today's episode, I do want to take just a quick minute and talk about the podcast. So hi, (laughs) the podcast is still here. We haven't had any new episodes in a while, which has been semi-intentional. The podcast is still here. I love the podcast and I do intend to continue publishing episodes, but I will say I have found myself overcommitted and ultimately painting and writing come first and I have had a hard time balancing the three. So the thing that has gone by the wayside has been the podcast episodes. And the thing is, I really enjoy having this platform. I think there's something about long form audio that is just super unique and super nourishing. But the thing is, not everything needs long form audio. So when I've been thinking about, you know, releasing new podcast episodes, if it's something that I think could be great on audio, well, then there will be a podcast episode about it. But if not, you may hear from me through my email newsletter or my blog or some other format. So I was publishing podcast episodes monthly. Now there is absolutely no set schedule. And so I would say, you know, if you've enjoyed the podcast and you want to continue following along, I would recommend either subscribing on your favorite podcast platform. So, you know, something like Apple Podcasts or Spotify. If you hit the follow button, then you will be notified anytime a new episode is released, which is really helpful, especially if the podcast is not being published on a regular schedule. Or you can also sign up for my email list at stephaniekirklandart.com slash newsletter. I will share about new podcast episodes there. So either way, if you enjoy the podcast episode and you want to stay in touch, but you don't want to you know, constantly refer back to your favorite podcast platform to see if there's a new episode, subscribe in one of those two ways, and that will be the best way for you to stay in touch. Okay. So without further ado, let's talk about today's episode. So I'm bringing back my friend, Eva Peterson, who is an Ayurvedic wellness and life coach. I interviewed her for episode two, and it's been interesting getting feedback on the podcast. I think she has been our by far our most favorite guest on the podcast so far. So if you have not listened to that, I highly recommend going back to episode two and checking that out. 
But Eva is just such a wealth of knowledge. Like we barely scratched the surface in that first conversation, which is one reason why I wanted to bring her back. And the other reason I wanted to bring her back was because she has a particular interest and expertise in climate change, which is a topic that is very near and dear to my heart for many reasons, because it's it's really important and probably one of the greatest challenges of our generation and our time, but also because my work is so inspired by nature. So naturally, protecting the planet is important to me because I recognize the incredible nourishing power of nature and without it, my artwork would not exist. So I'm really excited to talk about today's topic. And I think Eva is the perfect person to talk about this because I don't know about you, but when I hear about climate change, oftentimes I am very easily overwhelmed. And I think that's because the way that people talk about it is so doom and gloom. And like, yes, I know it's serious and I know there's a time and place for that, but I can also feel very overwhelming, which can lead to feeling frozen and just like wanting to ignore it and just not pay attention at all, which does not help anybody. So Eva, as you know, Eva is warm and encouraging and she is such a wealth of information and stories and knowledge. She is truly a learner at heart and really somebody that I consider my go-to expert in a lot of fields, but in, in climate change and sort of the earth and nature in general, I consider Eva an expert. And she certainly is. I would say maybe not necessarily in the traditional sense. Like she's not a researcher who's doing all this like, you know, science-based work on, on climate change, but um, she's very well-read, very well-informed, very well-traveled, very practical and down-to-earth. And as you'll hear in this episode, like her life really is like the perfect training ground for this kind of topic. Um, and she has received several certifications having to do with life coaching and Ayurveda, which is all about reconnecting to nature and working with the earth's natural seasons that I, I just think she is the perfect person to talk about this. And you're really going to enjoy this episode. One of the reasons I wanted to publish this podcast episode now is that Earth Day is coming up, and what better time to talk about preserving the planet than around Earth Day and also during this beautiful time of spring when we're really noticing the beauty of nature that's all around us. And the other reason I wanted to go ahead and publish this podcast episode is that Eva has a workshop starting this week that I want you to be aware of. I am joining her for this workshop. It's a week-long Ayurvedic cleanse and self-care week. So it builds off of a lot of the things that we talked about in her very first episode. I will include a link in the show notes if you want to learn more there. But what I will say is this workshop is all about increasing your energy and reconnecting to nature so that you have energy and capacity to do your big work. Because the thing is, if we're not taking care of ourselves, then we really can't do anything about 
climate change or any of those other things that matter to us because we won't have the capacity or energy to handle, you know, the challenges that are going to come our way through those things. So if you get through this episode, you're really fascinated and interested in the things that Eva and I talk about, I would highly encourage you to check out her workshop. It is jam-packed. She is leading several guided meditations. There is a meal plan that is associated with the workshop. Just full disclosure, I do not get anything for sharing this workshop with you. I am simply sharing this as a public service announcement because I want you to know about it and I think you would find it beneficial, especially if you enjoy this podcast episode and the podcast episode previously where I interviewed Eva about Ayurveda and working with the seasons to basically just like harness your body's innate power. So this is not, you know, you hear the word cleanse and (laughs) there may be a lot of different things that come to mind. This is not a cleanse in the traditional Western modern day sense. This is truly about nourishing your body, movement, meditation, reconnecting with nature, and just returning your body to its natural balanced state so you can feel your best and do your best work. So if that sounds interesting to you, check out the link in the show notes. Also, if you decide to participate, Eva has generously gifted podcast listeners with a gift. If you decide to join, you can get $10 off using the code ARTFUL10, and I will include that in the show notes as well. So it should be a really fun experience. I would love to have you join and see you there. Um, But either way, this is a really enjoyable and informative podcast episode. Eva talks about climate change in a way that is really empowering and encouraging, and it's super comprehensive, and I think you're really going to enjoy it. Another thing I should mention is that the reason why we recorded this podcast episode is because Eva recently returned from the... UN Climate Change Conference COP26, which was held in Glasgow, Scotland back in November, I think it was. What a unique experience. I mean, how many people can say that they have been to the UN Climate Change Conference? And Eva talks about what that experience was like and what she was doing while she was there because she had a very specific mission. So you'll hear her talk about that and a host of other things. It's a really practical episode. Without further ado, here is my interview with Eva Peterson. Eva, it is so good to see you again. How are you doing today? I'm good. Great to see you too. So excited to be here. Same. Yes. Yes. Part two. Um, So yeah, today we're going to do something a little bit different. We talked a lot last time about Eva's health coaching and life coaching. And today we're going to be focusing on another passion of hers, which is climate change, which is going to be super fun because Eva has lots to share with us. Um, I guess before we get started, in case there is anyone that has not listened to your last episode, can you just give us a brief rundown of who you are, what you do, and then maybe a little bit of your story about how you got interested in climate change? Sure. Yeah. They're all very much related. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, so um, my profession now, um, I'm a certified Ayurvedic life coach, and I love to support my clients in designing a life that's aligned with their values. Um, and a big part of that, I believe, is cultivating self trust, self awareness, and also reconnecting to our bodies and to nature. So it's very much connected to um, the you know, activism that I do around climate change and, you know, taking better care of our planet because 
I really believe that um, if we take better care of our planet, we're actually taking better care of ourselves and vice versa. They're just so like intricately linked, you know? So, um, so yeah, like working towards less climate change (laughs) and living a more sustainable lifestyle and self-care are very much linked for me. Um, And as far as how I got into this, I, I was thinking about that question earlier today because you had emailed me and asked, and it's kind of been in my blood, I think. Like, it's just something I've, I've been maybe more aware than most average, I don't know, Midwesterner. Um, from the day I was born, my parents are, you know, we're definitely hippies, still have a vein of that. <laughs> and um, so I grew up in a house that they built, a passive solar house. And at the time that I was born, um, they were like installing solar systems and solar hot water systems, things like this on people's houses. And they've always been quite environmentally conscious themselves. And so that is just the way I was raised. And I don't remember thinking about it a ton when I was little. However, when I went to college and started studying architecture specifically, I became very, very aware of um, and and started researching more of like the impact of buildings, but then also what we eat, all these different things. And it's it's one of those things where um, once you start looking into this stuff, for me anyway, it really gripped me and I felt like I couldn't I couldn't not do something about this. Right. And so that became my my first career path, which was designing buildings in a sustainable manner, you know, in a environmentally conscious, responsible manner. Um, And then after a few years of like really pushing for that agenda, I kind of not not gave up, but just got so burnt out trying to do that, um, that I was like, I have to come at this from a different way. Um, And I think we're going to get into more of that. Maybe I'm getting ahead of of the conversation, but, <laughs> but yeah, as far as like where it came from or how I got interested in it, I would say kind of have, it's always been on my mind, but in college, I, I would say I really like took it on myself to do my own research and, um, start to live a much, much more sustainable lifestyle. Yeah, for sure. I didn't know that story about, um, growing up and your parents. So that's so interesting. That yeah. adds an interesting lens to everything that you're doing now, I think. Um, so I am sure that many of our listeners are probably familiar with climate change and all of the negative ways that it's impacting our planet and people and animals and, you know, all of the things, but if you could sum up like maybe some major things that you've seen where, you know, climate change is negatively impacting us in these ways, what are some of the highlights? Yeah, I, I love the way that you phrased that question, things that I've noticed, um, because I think one of the tricky things is growing up in like the United States, for example, like we are insulated from a lot of stuff that's going on in the world. Um, so, for instance, I had a friend the other day who had, had picked up a book on climate change and started reading it and be like, oh, my gosh, like, like in the future, this, this and this is going to happen to the U.S. And I was like, OK those things have already been happening for a long time in other countries, right? It's, <laughs> this is not a future thing. This is very much um, the reality 
of a lot of nations. And so in the US, we're insulated from these things um, in, in a lot of ways. I won't get into it too much, but you know, we have central air and air conditioning, we have central heating. Um, we all have our cars, you know, like, like we don't see where our food is coming from. We don't see where the metals to make our cars are coming from. We don't see where the gas is coming from, right? All of that, for the most part, <laughs> in a lot of ways, is done outside of the U.S. borders, right? And so um, we're just very much insulated from us. And I would say, after looking into this more, that that's actually like like companies are consciously doing that, consciously hiding those things from us so that we will continue to consume, 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 and not feel bad about it, right? But now having traveled, so the last, um, I guess like four, a little over four and a half years, uh, May of this year will be like my five-year travel anniversary. That's not well. a word, but now it is. <laughs> so <laughs> after like five years of traveling, um, to to a, a quite a variety of uh, different countries, I have been able to see some of this firsthand. You know, getting out outside of the U.S. And so, so for example, the very first one that came to mind, um, probably because it's just a country that I love so much, is Peru. And so, in Peru, there have always been in the Andes Mountains these huge, beautiful mountains. They've always had glaciers there, uh, what what are called tropical glaciers. And so these glaciers, they melt in the summer or not, not totally melt, but a lot of it melts in the summer, which then, um, you know, provides water in the rivers and the streams to all of the cropland there. And so many things are grown in Peru. Like it's like a cornucopia of fruits and vegetables and a lot of things that are then, you know, like a lot of cacao that's then shipped to Europe and made into the finest chocolates or a lot of the fruits and vegetables that we have in the U.S. Um, and then every winter they, they freeze over again, right? And the glaciers have stayed around the same size. However, now recently they've actually been decreasing in size. And one of my friends who works there, um, in the Cusco region told me the statistic, um, researchers have, have determined that in, I believe 30 years, there will be no tropical glaciers left in the world not just peru like in the world wow. and so that is going to have devastating consequences on the food production not just like i said not just in peru but everywhere that they export to so that's just one example of how um, this is really starting to play out you know my um we're actually about to go to spain we fly there in like three days to work on a project um or well i'm not directly working on this my partner is um, to work on a project where poor agricultural practices have led to what was once a really thriving um, part of Spain in the south of Spain on the high plateau um, that once you know was forest and then you know great um, productive ground for agriculture but because of bad practices now it's a desert <laughs> and so they're trying to restore the desert so um, yeah all over the world this this stuff is happening. Yeah. I mean, so many things, drought, food supply, natural disasters. I mean, you name it, it's happening. Yeah. Um, yeah. And if we open our eyes in the U.S. too, right? Like yeah. <laughs> the amount of national, natural disasters, forest fires, intense weather, right? Like that's all absolutely been linked to the same, um, the same issues, you know? 
Yeah. Yeah. I guess something else to talk about would be how, you know, all of this is human caused, you know, we are very advanced species. We've been able to do so much, but a lot of what we have done has inadvertently in many ways caused all of this damage, but also remembering that we are powerful as a species and we can make changes to reverse it and, (laughs) you know, make some positive changes, which would be great. Um, So can you maybe tell us a little bit about some of the things that you do and if somebody were wanting to live a more environmentally conscious lifestyle, what are some things you might suggest? Sure. And if I could like preface, um, preface like my response with um, something that I think is, is really important, which is that um, our actions, our personal actions are important, right? Absolutely. We, we do have the power to make, to create change with our personal actions. Um, and something that my eyes are opening up to more and more and more is that, and I actually have a statistics for you that'll really like put this into perspective, but that our personal actions actually don't have nearly the impact that like these huge corporations do. So for example, um, and this is a, a, uh, a study that was published in 2017, and I'm, I'm looking at an article from The Guardian that, that pulls some facts from it, <clears throat> but it says, just 100 companies have been the source of more than 70% of the world's greenhouse gas emissions since 1988. And that's just when they started measuring, right, 1988. Um, and so this is the Carbon Majors report. And... <laughs> 25 corporations, just 25 corporations and state-owned entities are responsible for more than half of global emissions, right? So yes, like we can definitely do things on our own. Like I can, you know, use less plastic. I can, um, you know, choose to live in a house that's like better insulated and uses less heating and cooling, you know, things like this. And we can go through some more of those because I, um, I have, very much optimize my life for as little impact as possible. But it's really good to keep in mind too, that without the bigger systems changing, which are these um, huge oil and gas companies um, being funded, like without that changing, our day-to-day actions might not have as big of an effect, you know? So I think- That, that being said, I think one of the biggest things that we can do is really like put responsibility where it should be and yeah. continue to call out these companies. So um, some different ways that you can do this like really directly is divesting from any of these fossil fuel like oil and gas companies. And so, for example, um, I've been in this process for a while, but like my 401k for my architecture job, like when you dig in, like a lot of that is invested in these companies. And so when we think about that, like we're saving money for a future that the companies that, that the, like the, the future that's not going to exist, right? Or a future that we're destroying by saving, right? <laughs> because it's been invested in these companies, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so one thing that we can do is make sure that our banks and um, our 401ks, things like that are not invested in these companies. Um, other things that I love to do. So let's, let's focus again on that, like the oil and gas, right? Um, plastic, plastic comes from oil and gas. And so 
I really try to not use plastic as much as possible. Um, that means like buying a book, bringing my own like um, cloth bags everywhere that I go. Um, and if something is not sold without plastic, like typically I just don't buy it. I mean, there are of course like some um, some trade-offs, like we all make compromises. For example, like I'm flying on Tuesday. That does have a big carbon footprint, you know? Um, so I think the big thing is like do what you can and make those small steps, um, but also realize that there is some compromise there and we all compromise. We're all just doing our best. <laughs> and I think we're going to talk about this earlier or a little bit later, I mean, but, um, you know, if, if we can feel empowered about these things, feel empowered about making these changes and um, see the different creative like ways that um, living a more sustainable lifestyle open up for us instead of seeing it as like a limiting thing. Um, I think that that can be really beautiful. It's all about how we approach it, you know? Yeah, for sure. And I think thinking about it, as you have mentioned already, like an investment in the future, like mm -hmm. it's very, maybe very convenient at the moment to, you know, go grab a plastic water bottle or something, but thinking about more of the long-term effects, I think changes your mindset on what you do in the moment for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And it's kind of like, I think it's really fun. So like whenever like traveling, like whenever I arrive somewhere new, I feel like an investigator, like, let me figure out where I can like get my bulk stuff, you know, or like, let me like tap into um, a lot of times it's, it's really like tapping into the community, you know? So like, for example, I, I enjoy cow's milk from time to time for my tea. I don't drink a lot of it, but I do like it sometimes. And um, this, this little uh, place I've lived a number of times over the past few years in Peru, Juan Chaco, Peru, we found some, a, a woman who like gets the milk straight from the cow and I would bring my pan there and she would just fill up my pan and I wow. would take it home, boil it. And I had fresh cow's milk, you know? So like, I didn't have to go to the store and purchase like some, you know, plastic milk bottle that came from who knows where. Some little things like that can be really fun to kind of figure out. Uh, and I had a lot of fun with that too, even before I left the US when I was living in New York City, uh, finding like a farm that I wanted to source from and, and different things. You can kind of see it as like, you know, being a detective. Yeah, for sure. Have you ever tried composting? I know that's something that some people do. Oh yeah. Something okay. you recommend? Yes, absolutely. So I think um, this statistic might not be completely right, so don't quote me, but something like, you can give it a quick Google, you'll find it. Something like 40% of waste in developed countries is food waste, which like, first of all, crazy, right? Crazy, crazy. Mm -hmm. So we can, we can start by like trying to only buy what we're going to eat or actually like eating everything that we buy, right? Instead of doing like a huge grocery shop, maybe buy smaller quantities or something. Um, but then, yeah, after that, so this, this food waste, when it goes into a, um, you know, a typical landfill and then that landfill is sealed. So, you know, it's not off gassing all the the horrible chemicals that are in there along with the food um it can't decompose like the things that that could decompose and that back in the day before we had landfills would go back into the soil decompose and make the soil even richer for the next season of growth you know 
um, are just sitting there. And, and so, yeah, it's, it's definitely a big problem. So we compost, like if, if we're anywhere for like more than a couple of months, we've actually like gotten a compost bucket. Um, we will uh, contact like anybody in the area. Facebook's great for this. Just putting a, you know, Facebook chat. Um, up about it, but contacting anybody in the area that is composting and connect with them and figure out how we can get some more compost and things like that. Um, what we do when we don't have that option is what I have termed gorilla composting, which is just keeping all of our organics in some sort of container or, or like a big bowl or something. And then whenever we are walking around, we'll kind of be like, oh, that's a good spot. Like when we're in a park or something, like, oh, that's a good spot. We'll kind of like just are always on the lookout for these places now because we've been doing this for a while. Yeah. Um, and we'll typically go out at night and kind of like, you know. <laughs> I love it. That's such a great idea. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, typically it's, it'll be like, um, you know, like abandoned lots or like places in a park that are like, you know, nobody can see it. Right. It's, it's, yeah, back there. So, um, but there is like, there are some caveats with that. Uh, so typically like you want to make sure that what you're throwing out actually grows locally. So you're not like throwing out some seeds that are then going to become some invasive species or something. Right. Um, so you don't, you do have some things to look out for, but there are so many different ways to compost. And that's such like a wonderful, um, really like high impact step that you can take. So um, if you do some Googling too, there's so many different composting systems. You can set something up for like 100% free, even if you live in an apartment. For example, I found when I was living in New York City at some of the green markets or farmer's markets, they would take your, your compost there. And so I would like put it, put all of my organics in a massive bag, like in the freezer. And then like once a week or twice a week or, or sorry, maybe twice a month. I would take them, you know, with me um, to work and put them in the farmer market at lunch, farmers market at lunch or something. So, yeah, a little giggling. Yeah. You can find some places. Yeah, I love that. That is composting is something I have not gotten into yet, but I'm very interested in that. So, um, yeah, and you've got your backyard, yeah. right? So yes, can, yes. Yeah, I can, can help do something yourself. Help my garden and make my hydrangeas grow. It'd be great. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> help absolutely. the planet. Yeah. So that's, that's the next on my list. Yeah, for mm -hmm. sure. Um, and something else I've heard you talk about before is also like thinking about the way that you eat, which also can affect the way that you feel, which, you know, feeds into all of your other work with Ayurveda. But, um, yeah. can you talk, talk a little bit about how, especially this climate lens has changed how you approach food as well? Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and and here is like like you said one of the um, one of the key like connectors right between like what's good for me is good for my community is good for the planet and mm -hmm. vice versa right <clears throat> and so so just yeah I'll speak personally first um, so around that time when like in college when I really started looking into this stuff um, I as I research things like. I would change things, right? So like I looked into like, I don't know why this was first, but chicken farms. I looked into like chicken practices in the US and I was mm -hmm. horrified. So I stopped eating chicken. Um, I think next I looked into beef, but pretty soon I was a full-fledged like vegetarian trying to be vegan. Um, and and I, and I was vegetarian for about 
seven years. Um, I was also really trying to eat locally as much as possible. So, um, you know, that's as simple as like if if you do have a farmer's market, which not everybody does this. Let me also just say that like a lot of my um, experience is colored by the fact that I have like I'm a white woman and I have certain privileges um, like from being middle class, you know, so not at all times in my life. There have been times where I have been so broke that all I have is a cucumber to eat for a day. And, and that was rough. But for a lot of my life, I have been able to buy like decent food and not everybody has that privilege. So we all do the best that we can, like I said before. But um, like, so going to a farmer's market or, um, you know, looking at where your produce is coming from, like they all have those stickers on them oftentimes, you know, or where um, a jar of whatever that you're buying is made. And so trying to buy locally as much as possible, but then also trying to buy organic as much as possible. Again, I have not always had the finances to do that, but if you do, amazing. Um, those things are not only good for us, for a variety of reasons. Um, first one being like less chemicals in our body, right? And things like that, but also wonderful for the planet, less transportation costs. You're supporting your local community, all of these different things. However, so I, after about seven years um, of being a vegetarian and at times vegan, but man, veganism did not work for me. I would love it if it did. I, I like totally support anybody who can be vegan, but my body was like, no bueno. Mm -hmm. um, and so, so after like seven years of, of um, being a vegetarian, I had like quite a few health problems and I ended up going to a number of doctors, um, finally found this amazing doctor who was like a naturopath, but also an MD. And as you know, I got all these blood tests and I was deficient in, in a few different minerals. I had been anemic for, I don't even know how long at that point, a long time at that point. Um, and she was like, you know, if you eat a little bit of meat, like a lot of this is just going to clean up on its own. Um, or you can take this, 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 and this supplement. And so I chose the supplement route and was spending hundreds of dollars on supplements <laughs> a month. And I was like, I don't know if this is sustainable from, you know, my pocketbook type of type of angle here. Yeah. And so I decided like, okay, I'm going to eat a little bit of meat. And I decided to do that. I did it. And a lot of this stuff cleared up and I was feeling really good and healthy again. Um, but I was able to find meat from this this farm in New Jersey who like, like I saw it, like they, they, their animals are happy and like walking around, you know, in the grass and, um, and they had really great practices and then they would butcher the animals, um, freeze it and bring it straight into the city. And they would like drop it. They brought this big van, um, that would drive into the city once a week and you could get your meat, you know? Um, so I felt like if I was going to eat meat, I'm going to do it in, this way, you know, and I also found after like playing around with with um, portions for a while, like now for the last few years, um, I can eat meat maybe like once or twice a month and uh, feel great. That's all I need. Um, so, so yeah, that's uh, something that like, it was a bit of a journey though, because, you know, um, I had to, in that case, like put my health first you know yeah. like, like if I was going to continue to um 
exist in this world and not just be totally sick and, you know, be able to like go out and march and protest and, you know, and also like do, do my work. Like I was going to have to eat a little bit of meat. Apparently that's what this woman's body needed. And that period of really poor health also led me into Ayurveda Mm -hmm. and, you know, what I'm doing now. So it's all very much related. Yeah. Man, I love that story so much too, because I think it just speaks to the importance of listening to yourself and to what you need. And again, that like progress over perfection, like, you know, we're sharing this information because it's, it's important to know. And these are all great ideas of things that you can incorporate as it feels good for you. But like, mm-hmm. you know, each person is different and each person is going to be able to do different things just depending on their situation. And so, um, yeah, I think that's, that is a perfect example of taking these things that matter to you and implementing them in a way that makes sense for you without trying to fit this mold of what other people are telling you you should do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's great. Yeah. Yeah. And just to recognize that we're all so different, yeah. you know, like I have friends that have been vegan for over a decade and they feel great and yeah. that's awesome, you know? Um, so yeah, just one example of how we're all so different and we can respect that and and hopefully honor it and not compare ourselves to others, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think especially with the food thing too, thinking about, you know, it's not even as much of a conversation of like meat or no meat, but you know, how are the animals being treated? What is, you know, local versus are you transporting it in, which is contributing to greenhouse gases and all these other things. So just thinking about all of these factors versus not just, yes or no to me. Like there's a lot more layered, you know, layered things to that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, And everything that that's such a great point, Stephanie, like like everything is so nuanced, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And so anybody, anybody that tells you like some blanket statement, or if you read some blanket statement, um, just look, look further, look deeper, you know what I mean? (laughs) And check in with yourself. Like, does this feel right to me? You know? Um, And, and just, yeah. Yeah. Look, get curious, I think is, um, a great, a great way to live life, you know? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, let's shift gears for a little bit. Cause actually the impetus for the conversation today, you did something pretty big and interesting and cool recently that we need to talk about. Um, so Eva recently went to, um, cop and, had a very interesting experience. I would love for you to tell us about that. What what started that? And tell us a little bit about the conference and what you were doing while you were there. Sure. Yeah. So this was um, early November now, COP26 um, in Glasgow in Scotland. Um, and so so it's like the, for anybody who doesn't know what, what COP26 is, it's like the uh, United Nations Global Summit on Climate Change. And so it's you know, leaders from all over the world, mostly, you know, just white men blabbing at each other. But (laughs) the ideal, the ideal is that people from all over the world are represented here and they're all talking about climate change and they're trying to find solutions for how we can move forward globally in a way that will um, allow us to not hit the projected global warming statistics. So um, if you've looked into this at all, you might have heard like 
um, one, 1. 1.5 degrees, 1. 1.5 degrees is like this, uh, you could, you could call it a tipping point, although like we've already hit a lot of tipping points. Um, like they're, they're actually in the past. So this is just kind of like the next tipping point that everybody's looking at. And what I mean by tipping point is kind of like, um, a, a point where the, um, according to science, um, scientific research, we can't go back. Like, like we're already kind of, we, we've messed up our planet this much and there's no going back from it. Um, so, so yeah, so the, the point is to, to kind of globally, um, leaders from the world to get on the same page about how we're going to solve these problems. And, um, this has been done, you know, 26 times now. Mm -hmm. So 25 times prior and most people who are looking at this sort of thing would say that it's failed 25 times. Now I would say failed 26 times. Um, so there was a real call among like um, people who are, you know, environmentally and socially conscious to um, to be there and have their voices be heard. And um, there's kind of this this duality of like we want to go, we want to have our voices heard. But we also don't want like a million people flying here and creating a bunch of like, you know, um, a huge carbon footprint to get there. The thing is, we happened to be in Ireland at the time, like mm -hmm. just across the channel. And um, so while I'd had my eye on these summits in the past being like, oh, it'd be so cool to be there. Like, you know, this would be amazing to help out at one of these conferences. Um, this time it was actually like possible. Um, and so. So yeah, we were in Ireland, we went over to Glasgow, and we were there for, um, I think, like a little over a week um, on the streets every single day demonstrating. And my goal in going there was basically to, like, listen and support people that I believe were much more um, in tune and on the front lines, let's say, of the climate crisis than, than I was, you know? So... Um, there were a lot of people there, like I said, from all over the world who had come to have their voices be heard, but because, you know, the leaders from, you know, America, England, like, like, you know, certain, certain white men who are always in the room, um, talking and deciding the futures of all these other countries. So there were a lot of delegates from other countries who, um, basically felt like their voices were not being heard. A lot of indigenous groups from, you know, from like Northwestern, what is now Northwestern Canada to South America to um, areas in India, like a lot of people from all over the world who needed a platform. And so my goal was like, okay, I'm going to help like create that platform, help these voices be heard, you know? So what I was doing specifically was stewarding um, and helping like set up sound systems um, and keeping like everybody kind of like in check. <laughs> um, so that we didn't well i mean so that we like yeah so that these people could could speak you know and have the, vo the voices heard so that was my main goal um and also just to listen and learn listen and learn, listen and learn. yeah um and so i felt like i really got to do that and it was really powerful um a lot of the people that we heard speak just to hear their stories and to see that um, again, these issues are so nuanced, like what's working in some places is not working in other places. And 
that um, there are so many different ideas from you know all these different people it's really like country by country region by region basis of what needs to happen and so there is no blanket approach that some you know men in a conference room are going to be able to figure out uh they need to listen to the local people you know um it was really amazing experience it was incredibly emotional like emotional highs emotional lows kind of all over the place yeah um yeah, even even you know, trying as much as I can to practice what I preach and uh, really take care of myself while also like being there and holding space for others, I definitely um, kind of overextended myself, which is like you know the um, the thing that I tend to do. Um, and and it was like it took me some time to kind of emotionally recover from everything. Um, but so glad that I'm there or that I was there. And I definitely um, came out with a lot of hope too. Um, yeah. Especially listen to like the younger generations uh, was really amazing. Like people who, who hadn't yet like kind of been um, maybe like as jaded. Like, so I'm 36. So um, like I've kind of like, I've been around a block a time or two as far as like, um, like banging my head against the wall, like I said, like in my architecture job and things. Um, and these people like haven't had as many disappointments, I'll say, but also are like, like they are equipped with the science. They know what they're talking about and they are unapologetically calling out the companies and the governments that are responsible for the problem, you know, yeah. Um, in a, in a really bold and empowered way that I think like maybe my generation is, is a little like more like meek or like wants to be like a little more, um, maybe, maybe not as, uh, not as bold with it, you know? Yeah. Um, and they're just like, they're like, screw this, y'all have screwed up our future. Like we are, we have to like do something now. They're, they're not waiting. So that was really encouraging. Yeah. Super interesting. Um, yeah. And I can say I've even seen that reflected in probably some of the people that I know as well. Um, the younger generation definitely seems to be more, I don't know if spicy is the word, but spicy. So it's come sure. to mind. <laughs> spicy bold, yeah. you know? Yeah. It's, yeah. that's an interesting observation for sure. Um, are there a few stories that stand out to you from your time there? Things that you heard, things that you learned from the people that you met? Yeah, definitely. Um, so the first thing that pops to mind when you asked that question was, um, these women that I heard speak, um, they're, they're from, so what is now Southwestern Canada, uh, but they're the, the indigenous group, the indigenous tribes. And I am so sorry. I'm not, I'm drawing a complete blank on like the name of their tribe. Um, but maybe I could send you like some other stuff after and we could yes, put it could, in show notes or something. Yes, that would be perfect. Okay. Yeah. Because right. I feel Check bad. Check the show that, notes. Yeah. I can't, can't remember um, the tribe right now. But um, so they were speaking um, about, it, it, it was these, these women, I would say maybe like early 20s or so. And they were speaking about how their sisters, mothers, um, friends, literally were disappearing and the, the woman uh the first woman that spoke 
she was basically saying like remember my face remember my face because she was pretty sure she was going to disappear at some point too and so extractive companies um, have been coming into their lands whether it's for forestry or for oil or for other mining opportunities and the government has given them zero protection. Basically, the government has allowed them to come into their lands, right? Um, and of course, this is forcibly taken land in the first place. It's not like they invited the settlers to be there, you know? Right. Um, so, so the women in particular of their tribes have suffered incredible amounts of abuse and um, sometimes eventually resulting in just completely disappearing or death, right? Yeah. Um, and oftentimes like beatings and rapes and things like that. And oh my gosh, hearing hearing them speak. Um, and like, because, like, you know, maybe like you've read about these things or you're, you're kind of aware like in your periphery that this stuff is going on. But like when you actually see the person speak and they're standing right there in front of you, um, it's like making me emotional just thinking yeah. about it, honestly. Yeah. Um, but like, it's, it's like you can no longer. Um... It's like, it's no longer theoretical. Like you see yeah, it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it just puts yeah. it in a whole new perspective. It's like, we're not, you know, we're not talking about something that would be nice. Like we are talking about something that is significantly impacting people's lives in this huge yeah. way. Yeah. I mean. Uh, what a story. And that's just one and that's just one story too. And yeah. I mean, I can give you like um so there were also some indigenous people from Australia who had similar stories. Um and in the Amazon who had a similar story. And so this is going on like around the world, you know? Uh and so so yeah. Yeah, that was that really 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 um had an impact on me. Yeah, wild wild. Um I guess maybe shifting gears a little bit. Um, I know while you were there, you received an incredible amount of support from the people in Glasgow through different ways. Can you speak about that a little bit? Sort of the people who were assisting you in doing this work at COP? Sure, sure. Um, so <laughs> one couple in particular, I, I don't want to like put their names on blast, but oh my gosh. Um, I don't know, maybe I'll send this recording to them because they're just <laughs> so freaking amazing. But yeah, there's something called um, a human hotel. And so they're in Glasgow. It's Scotland, Glasgow. It's very expensive, right? Um, and so there was a lot of people, like delegates coming in, people from all over the world who are coming in and um, couldn't find accommodation. So they set up this thing called human hotel. And it was for anybody who lived there and wanted to open up their home um, for somebody to come stay. And so um, we decided very last minute to go <laughs> and there was like there, like zero accommodation. And so we went on this human hotel and um, started messaging people. And this, this couple took us in and they're literally like my Scottish parents now. Like they're just so wonderful. And so we would be out, you know, for hours every single day, like like on our feet, marching, yelling, you know, um, organizing all of these things for hours every single day. And then we would come home and they had like, we had our own bedroom there and they would have like hot food every night, like a great meal. 
Um, it was just so amazing. Yeah. And to be completely honest, um, it was really hard for me to like receive that level of support. Mm-hmm. Um, I had some guilt around it because I was like, you know, somebody else should be should be getting this like or um, like, like, I don't deserve this much hospitality. It was it was weird. It was kind of like I I didn't realize I had such issues with receiving, you know, um, and and the way I look at it now is like that was so amazing. Like I am so grateful for that, for that opportunity to meet these people and um, to be supported in that way so that we could go out and do what we wanted to do every day. Um, but also I'm really looking forward to paying it forward in the future, you know, and like hosting, um, hosting younger people or activists or whoever, whoever needs a little bit of help, you know, in the future. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and another thing I really like about that story too, is like, that's just another example of like how you can have a positive effect on climate change in a way that like takes advantage of your strengths and support sure. somebody else. Cause like, yeah. I'm sure I can even, I, I can see myself and my husband doing this. Like we love hosting and we love guests. Yeah. It's like, all right, we'll take, you know, take that strength of yours and empower some other people who are doing sort of the grassroots work on the ground, helping people. And, and it's just like, it's this really cool communal example of just one way that you can support this bigger work which is awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And that, that too was a big takeaway from cop for me was that like, everybody's needed, you know, mm-hmm. like every skill set is needed. You know, there were people there who were like, like they're like it people and they knew how to set up the AV equipment and all these things. Right. You need people to like, um, people to like do signs and like use their art like there Mm -hmm. are there's so many beautiful demonstrations there that like the media is there taking photos of them and therefore like getting the message out because they're such beautiful pieces of art you know Mm -hmm. that these people are creating so like art can have a huge impact um there are people there who need to like liaise with the the police so that we Mm -hmm. don't get arrested I mean, people did get arrested, but, you know, a lot more people would have gotten arrested without these police liaisons. So people who are really good at communication and like networking and talking to people, you know, every single skill, whatever it is that you have um, can be used for these different um, causes that that are really important, you know, and that might be important to you. I think sometimes we can think like, um, if I'm... I don't know if I don't have like X, Y, or Z skill, then I'm useless. And that's just like, so not true. Like you need everybody, every type of person, you know? Um, yeah. There's just like so much to be done. Yeah, for sure. What advice would you give to somebody who, you know, is really inspired by the story and might be interested in doing something similar or getting more involved in activism of this sort? What would you say? Yeah. So to kind of to kind of go off that last question too is like like what are you interested in you know um, if there's something that we've mentioned like say say you're really into animal welfare you know and like like thinking about like the poor chickens like that really pulls at your heartstrings follow that thread or if like the composting sounds really interesting to you follow that thread or if you're really um, impacted by you know the voices of indigenous people in Canada maybe see like 
who are the indigenous people in your neck of the woods? You know, like what, how could they use your help? Um, or how could you support them? Maybe would be a better question um, or, or get their voices out more. So, yeah, I think there's a lot of, there's, there's so many like different things, different threads that you can follow that it can seem a bit overwhelming. Um, and I know I have dealt with that. Like all of my clients definitely deal with that, like feeling overwhelmed by the amount of, um, things that need to change in our world. But yeah, so whatever you're interested in, follow that. And, um, I would also say like, make sure that you're taking care of yourself in the process. You know, like if you get emotionally overwhelmed, like I did, um, a couple times at COP, like take a step back and take care of yourself. You know, um, I feel like half of my like like email newsletters are about this. It's like examples of me like <laughs> like having to learn this lesson over and over and over again. But it's like if you do want to have a, a sustainable um, impact, and by and I'm using sustainable in a different way here now. I'm using sustainable in the way of like like me being able to be alive and vibrant and energetic and have the like emotional and physical capacity to like continue doing my work, you know, mm-hmm. then we have to like, we have to take care of ourselves. Like if I think one of the, one of the things that I hope, I hope it, um, the younger generations of like climate activists or even just, you don't have to be an activist, just like younger generations in general can like learn from, from us is like, take better care of yourself so that you don't burn out so young. Yeah. You know what I mean? Cause like, it's not going to help anybody if we're all burned out. We can't continue this work. Right. So that's, that's kind of like a big, has been a big takeaway, like just from my life in general and something that I hope that I can continue to pass on. Yeah, for sure. Well, and speaking of being overwhelmed, I mean, I, I know I have definitely felt that, especially tackling this topic before, what are there tips or advice you would have for um, trying to quell some of that overwhelm? Like how do you keep the anxiety at bay when you're thinking about all of these things that are going wrong in the world, especially as it relates to climate change? Yeah. Yeah. I have, I have quite a few things um, that come to mind. So one, I think that's really great is to somehow like get into community with this. Right. So like find people, it might be some pe- people locally in person, that's awesome, or people online, like like find others who care about what you care about. Because the truth is like, no one person is going to be able to change the world. Like we're going to do this in community. And so mm-hmm. sometimes though, it can feel like the weight of the world is really on your shoulders. Um, but when we reach out and we connect with others, we can see like, oh, actually, there are so many other people that care about these issues. And I'm not the only one. It's not on my shoulders. And so that can be like, like a real weight off, you know? So for example, like being at COP, like getting involved in that um, and seeing all these amazing people from all over the world, all different backgrounds there participating really took, um, like helped to take some weight off of my shoulders because I'm like, okay, there's so many other people doing this too, you know? Um, So yeah, like getting in community, finding others to connect with, I think is huge. Um, another thing that I think really helps me or that I know really helps me is as much as I can living a life aligned with my values. And so 
like I said, we do all make compromises, but like they can be conscious compromises, right? And so I think, to be honest, I think that this is like like a, a really huge topic of like maybe why there is so much like anxiety, depression, unhappiness, just, just we can use the U.S. as an example because that's where we're both from. Like why that exists so much in our culture right now, I think in part is because of the disconnect from nature. And while we might not fully be conscious of the impacts that our daily lives are having, like we know on some level, we know, like <laughs> you yeah. can't, you like, unless you're like literally hiding under a rock, in which case you don't have an environmental impact. Great job. You know, <laughs> um, like, <laughs> like we know that this is like, like that our actions have um, consequences, right? So that's another big one for me is like to think about um, aligning my, my daily life. Like the, the way that I live now just feels um, so much better in my soul than like when I was kind of very much um, stuck in like the consumerist, like, you know, chasing after the latest style and whatever, like, you know, when I first got to New York and stuff. Um, another thing, let's see. I had another one that I was going to say. I have a lot on this topic because because this, this comes up a lot for me and it comes up a lot for my clients. Um, I write a lot about this too. So this conversation will be continued in, in yeah. future newsletters and blog posts and everything. Because it's a big one, especially like, oh my gosh, among like the younger generations, you know, that like are, um, I think, much more well-educated about these topics at a younger age. Mm -hmm. Like this stuff is scary yeah. you know like they like like we're gonna be alive for some of this and then like say somebody 20 years younger than I am is like like gonna be alive for a lot more of this and so um yeah it's, it's scary I think that dealing with ego anxiety um and the realities of what's happened to to our planet is gonna be like a huge mental health I mean it's already becoming a huge mental health concern um and well yeah we'll need a lot of people working in that area so if you are interested in psychology or sociology and you know want to help with this too like like right there's so many different ways that you can come at this um and and have a great impact yeah for sure Eva is there anything that we have not talked about related to this topic that you feel like we should mention the one last thing that I'll mention and again there are a lot of these but the one other thing that really has helped me is to realize that like there can be this conception or this um, this way of thinking about humans and humanity as like a virus that's like spreading on the earth and destroying everything and da da. And while an argument for that view could be made and possibly be made very logically, I like to think of people <laughs> instead and like humanity as like co-evolving with the rest of nature. Yeah, we've taken some wrong turns, but we're also like a part of nature like we are not separate we are animals we are like 100% connected to mother earth and yes we have become disconnected with like modern buildings and the, the amount of time that we spend inside and all of these things but a lot of my work personally and now professionally is helping myself and other people to reconnect to their inner selves their bodies and like literally reconnect to the earth and nature through like syncing up with natural cycles and things like this. 
because um, because doing that and realizing that we are an integral part of the earth, not something separate, um, to me, helps us come from a much more empowering place instead of just feeling like my presence here on earth is is a destructive force. You know, it's, it's messing things up. Instead, we can see ourselves as a part of earth and therefore like a part of the healing process, the evolutionary process. Um, so that feels much more um, empowering and, and um, integrated, right, of, of, a, of a view rather than feeling that we're something separate, which I think yeah. is completely false. Yeah, yeah, that totally makes sense. Well, and I have to add to this, we talk about a lot of these things in Eva's last podcast episode, which is titled Aligning Your Life with Your Values. So if you haven't listened to that, then you should definitely do that to add to this conversation. We don't specifically talk about climate change, but we do touch on these other things that are related. So I should make a plug for that. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I say that a lot. Aligning Your Life with Your Values. I feel like that's just like my number one thing, right? It's just so important. So yeah. Yeah, it is important. Well, Eva, would you like to leave us with some, maybe a parting message or something? If you were saying something to a group of people about climate change, maybe a hopeful message, what would you, what would you want to say? I guess I would say that back, back to kind of what I said before, um, my, my main message, my main thought right now is that what's best for you is what's best for your community is what's best for the planet. Right. And therefore we, we can go out and we can do all of these things, but also a lot of this work just starts personally with us, you know? And so something as simple as like taking good care of yourself, like allowing yourself to rest or um, allowing yourself some time and space to like process whatever stressors are in your life. Like that, it might seem, it might seem selfish, right? I feel like a lot of our culture like wants to, package that as selfish um, or it might seem insignificant but really it's absolutely connected to and contributing to the greater good so um, all of these things whether um, they seem small or large are contributing to the greater good and something that I tell myself a lot that I think about a lot is like what if everybody lived the way I'm living or what if everybody made the choice that I'm making right now? Um, so for example, a couple of days ago, we were on a hike and I typically will just pick up trash and put it in my bag, like as we're hiking. Um, and so like, like, what if everybody did that? Like, what mm-hmm. if everybody just picked up like two pieces of trash and left none? Whoa, like we have a beautiful trail in a year. You know what I mean? Yeah. So just little things like that help me to um, see the value of everyday little actions and put those into perspective and realize that they are actually making a big difference. Love that. I have nothing else to say. I think we should end there. (laughs) (laughs) Eva, thank you so much for coming on the podcast again. Um, I guess before we part, if people want to learn more and they're interested in this and they want some frequent encouragement from you, where can they get that? Sure. Yeah. So I'm, I'm not really on social media anymore. Um, so don't go looking for me there, but I have a monthly newsletter. It usually comes out once or twice a month 
Um, so sign up for my newsletter. And in there, I give tips for exactly what we're talking about today, right? Aligning your life with your values, living a more sustainable lifestyle, how to take care of yourself. Because um, I really do believe that the more you care, the more you need self-care. And so I talk about all of that in my newsletter. I'll be starting a blog very soon to go even more in depth into these topics. So check out my website and um, yeah, get on the newsletter. Perfect. And we will put the link in the show notes to make that super easy for everyone. I will also say I highly recommend Eva's newsletters. They are some of my favorite. She's an excellent storyteller, as you can tell, and the same is true for her newsletters. So full of lots of value. Highly recommend it if you're interested in this topic. Stephanie, I appreciate it. Yes, of course. Eva, thanks so much again for joining us. Uh, it was a great conversation and I look forward to seeing what you do next. Thank you. Thanks so much, Stephanie. All right. As mentioned previously, Eva's workshop starts this week. So if you enjoyed that and you're interested in learning more and possibly working with Eva to re-energize and work with the seasons and nourish yourself so that you can do your big important work, check out the link in the show notes. You can get $10 off using the code ARTFUL10 and we would love to see you in the workshop. It is going to be jam-packed, informative, fun. I can't wait to get started and I know you will enjoy it if you decide to participate. So thanks for joining. I am not sure when the next podcast episode will come out, but if you ever have ideas or want to share you know, a topic that you would like to see me address on the podcast, please email me at hello at stephaniekirklandart.com or you can always send me a message on Instagram at stephaniekirklandart and I will see you in the next episode.